This is the one with a dim dibber. The product of a broken home. The habitat of the Canadian goose. And two typical instances from separate epistopic interfaces of the spectrum. It's called Trial of a Time Lord, Part 1. And it's known as the Mysterious Planets. Here we go. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen, Ood, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Well, hello, beautiful one. Wonderful, marvelous, stupendous people out there in podcast land. Welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Or Doc Past, indeed. I am coming down your earballs today with my good friend Leon. <laughs> I being mm, Jim. So hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello, Jim. <laughs> hello. hello, Leon. <laughs> I've messed up this intro wow, I got really yeah, thrown for a loop after you came down someone's earballs. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now. People may never have listened to this podcast right. before. You have to ease them into these kind of things. <laughs> right, like a gentleman. <laughs> Sorry, oh, family yeah. show. It's be one of right. <laughs> yeah, we are, in this episode, going to talk to you about... Oh my goodness. We got to the trial of a Time Lord and holy moly. We're doing oh, the part. Holy moly is right. One here. Part one, because it's four parts, really, sort of. But it's also one serial, really, sort of. It's an entire season as one thing. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's a mysterious planet. Oh, I am so excited. Have you gone ahead? Have you watched ahead and seen the rest of the trial? No, of course not. I am no, a, nor I. A holding <laughs> citizen, you know. <laughs> yeah, the the jury might Ups- object. Upholding? What <laughs> upstanding? What the jury? Wait, what kind of trial is this? Why is the jury objecting? What what am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I also have not watched ahead, and I am so excited. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get to the trial of a time lord. To be clear, as a podcast, it's taken us nine years <laughs> to get to this point. It, it is starting memorably. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's one way of putting it. (laughs) I'm trying to keep things close to the chest. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, okay, maybe we don't need to talk about general impression then. We can go straight into a bite size. No, fuck it, how do you feel about this? (laughs) (laughs) I honestly don't know. This isn't the format I was expecting. That's for sure. Oh, interesting. This whole, yeah, the basically, here's, here's an episode of Doctor Who. Let's all watch it together. Oh, and then let's pretend there's a trial happening at the same time. <laughs> I, I love this idea of Colin Baker, the Valiard, and a few random, well, I guess the, what's her name? The Inquisitor? The uh, Inquisitor. The Inquisitor and like a bunch of random Gallifreyans are kind of mystery science theater 3000-ing Doctor Who. I love it. <laughs> I am so on board for the, uh, what did we say before we pressed record? Third or fourth time this evening? I am sitting in a puddle of myself. This is a great <laughs> format. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We're going to have some interesting conversations, that's for sure. <laughs> and probably most of them quite excitably. <laughs> 
So does that mean high level you're not wholly on board for this episode? I didn't say I wasn't on board. I just, I'm not quite sure what to make of it, really. It was just, it it threw me for a little bit of a loop. Like, I didn't, I thought I'd be watching the trial more than the evidence, I guess. Yeah. And so, yeah, it took me a while to kind of get into that. But that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. Oh, no, no. I think I enjoyed it. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, this is is a little bit too much at the high level. We want to get into details, don't we? Come on. In... We want to go under the floorboards and find out all the hidden secrets. <laughs> under the floorboards. I love that. <laughs> In an, uh, cow. <laughs> under the floorboards what? of who? Uh, of flower. Oh, right. <laughs> flower. Yeah. I think what you're alluding to is the other acronym we do tend to use quite frequently, as in a bee scout. Oh, a bite size? Dude, I am taking this entire thing in my mouth. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely cutting that. I'm so sorry. All right. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Yowzers. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lebify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Doc is on trial. It would seem that the Time Lords have been monitoring his exploits and aren't too happy with the way he's interfered with other life forms and civilizations. Prosecution, trying to hold Doc to account, is in the form of a Gallifreyan called Valyard. Or Scrapyard, as Doc would much rather call him. And the judge is called the Inquisitor. So it's quite clear that the Time Lords are as mad as a box of frogs, and the concept of a fair trial might be missing from these proceedings. The first piece of evidence that Valyard would like the court, well, mainly the Inquisitor herself, to consider is a convenient 20-ish minute playback of this one time that Doc and Perry went to Ravelox, a suspiciously Earth-like planet that was meant to have been fireballed to death, and yet seems a very green and pleasant land. Oh, plot twist. Ravelox is, in fact, Earth. It's just a couple of light years away from where it's meant to be. That's not as big a plot point as it might seem, though. The real problem is that there's a crazy robot running around the place, calling himself the Immortal, and trying to oppress the few hundred remaining organics, aka humans. The Immortal or Drathro to his friends, is powered by a black light machine. Unfortunately, said machine is compromised by the mercenary duo of Glitz and Dibber. Without Doc's intervention, there's a real possibility that this black light machine could kill all life on the planet, or even the whole universe. Objection! Sustained. Said intervention might not wholly confirm to Gallifreyan law. Beast cow over. <laughs> you are welcome. Aren't you just... That is an incredible beast girl. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're done patting each other on the back. Well done. Nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where on earth do we start with this? You're going to have to help me out here, dude. <laughs> okay, fine. You know there was a character called Broken Tooth? Oh, yeah. Do you think... Started with the called... important stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going straight to the stuff that really, <laughs> like, really bubbled matters. up to the surface for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think Broken Tooth was called a Broken Tooth before he was Mad Maxed up to the surface? Or do you think that's the name he was given when he arrived? Uh, 
Well, the dude that knew him from when they were living in the... Well, it's actually called a castle most of the time, isn't it? Even though it's yeah. this futuristic thing. Yeah. He calls him Broken Tooth. He knows him as Broken Tooth, I believe. That's ridiculous. This is, proves this my is theory this Balazar? that this is a case... It is Balazar, yeah. This proves my theory that this is a case of nominative determinism. Yes. <laughs> that only people who have Mad Max-sounding names that describe their appearance or their, their demeanor have a chance... To go to the surface, like which one? Tell me honestly, which one of the following characters do you think is likely to escape to the Mad Max lands? There's Kevin, there's Timmy, there's Lisa, there's Hate Face, there's Blood Tongue, and there's Crooked Dick. Pick one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, pick three. <laughs> I mean, I've had to pick one. It's obviously Crooked Dick, but you know, <laughs> three did stand out. It's for sure. <laughs> what kind of a name is Broken Tooth? <laughs> at some point know. people will have been calling him broken tooth and he's like my name's henry okay yeah. <laughs> it's just like jesus christ like when i was six i chipped a tooth <laughs> let it go <laughs> i've achieved so many things since then exactly yeah <laughs> i've learned how to do the whole back comb thing yeah anyway okay fine i I will ask you something legitimate about this episode instead. How do you feel about that opening shot, that zoom in 3D pan around the space station into the whatever that is, that beam that leads into it, into the station itself? I mean, stop, stop. Otherwise, I'll be in a pool of myself. I mean, it was gorgeous, <laughs> obviously. It might be the most beautiful effect we've had to date. I wouldn't necessarily disagree. I feel like someone either, like they got an intern in, in the same way, I'm sorry, I rewatched the Star Wars Empire of Dreams documentary or whatever it is the other day. And remembering yeah. the, this detail where like an intern joined Industrial Light and Magic and happened to be incredibly good at painting backdrops. And they were just like, oh my God, that's how we will film this now. We'll just do these incredible <laughs> snowy backdrops. And it's like, yeah, maybe the same thing happened here. It's like they got an intern in that was just incredibly good at filming little models flying over a space station. And they're like, yeah. whoa, we can do this? Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> it is so different to anything we've had to date on the show. And this is what? This is like, am I right in thinking we said the last time we did a classic review that this is a year or a year and a half after the previous episode? There was quite a gap, wasn't there? So this is now September 86. Yeah. And Revelation of the Daleks was March 85. Yeah, year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. So in many ways, this is a... This is not a reboot, but in many ways, this is a resuscitation of the show. And in doing so, maybe they've just accumulated money in the meantime, and they've invested in this effect. They also We have a new theme song as well, as in like this effect comes right off the bat of a new theme song. Yeah. What did you think about that? Loved every 80s note of it. <laughs> Literally, my first note is new theme music brackets don't like it <laughs> oh what, what don't you like about it i honestly couldn't tell you that's just what my first note says <laughs> i is think it, it was 80s maybe I don't, I don't know if there is such a thing but i think <laughs> it was just yeah just a little bit cheesy which i guess maybe is the 80s thing yeah fair but yeah okay. i think it did grow on me a little bit i don't think i felt compelled to write that note every episode for example so it can't be that bad <laughs> 
Okay, so we go from there into the trial itself, and maybe we can kind of jump back to the point that you said before, the the point that you raised about you weren't entirely prepared for this format, this sort of cutting back and forth between an episode of Doctor Who and a trial that is watching an episode of Doctor Who. How do you how do you feel about this? I mean, like th- this is the first time we meet the Valyard. This is there's a, there's a jury of Silent Time Lords. Yeah, it's an odd setup. And I, I've been aware of this character of the Valyard, and there's a detail of it, mm. which I think we have talked about before. It's not spoilery, I don't think, because, I mean, most people listening to this have probably watched the rest of Classic Who. <laughs> most likely, um, yeah. <laughs> but, like, the detail I remember is that this this is no ordinary Gallifreyan. And that isn't, that isn't said in this episode it's at not. all, this serial at all, this part. Of- I only have a vague recollection of this. Try to maintain a poker face. My vague recollection is that the Valyard is sort of an anti-doctor of sorts. That is an impressive I mean, I have, poker face. I have similar <laughs> similar things with an extra detail. And it's possible, actually, oh. you know, I read, read this years ago, probably. I, I feel uh-huh. like I haven't read anything since... I've been recording this podcast with you, good sir. No. Because I tried tried not to spoil things and influence my opinion. But of course, of course, you read things here and there. So it's possible, actually, what I read, I've misremembered or just misread in the first place. But I found it interesting that, yeah, in this part, at least, the Valyard is presented just as the prosecution, any other Time Lord. No, yeah. no details necessary. And it'd be interesting if there is extra detail to come, like when that is unraveled and why and how and all that kind of stuff. But for now, this yeah, goes- we've just got this this very kind of straight-looking Time Lord courtroom. Yeah, absolutely. This is presume. I'm only guessing, given that I have not seen the rest of Trial of a Time Lord, but I, I, I'm assuming that this goes hand in hand with the idea of this being just a, a quarter of one actual serial. This is one yeah. story that just happens to be four times longer than they usually are. So we've barely grazed <laughs> the, the surface of Act 1. This is why it doesn't end on a conclusion. It ends on a, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm only saying this because I think there are possibly bits of this serial that we might judge unfairly if we consider this a whole. But actually, we're going to have to go back to this next episode, the episode after that, and the episode after that when we're concluding our review of this of this box set to see, did that work in part one? Did that work in Mysterious Planet? Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I think this might be... I've kind of solidified things a little bit, actually, in my head, why I was taken aback a a little bit with this format. And it's because I was worried it's going to be a similar thing to, like, the was it the Keys of Time little trilogy? Where there was this idea of... Quintilogy? A continuing... Is it Quintilogy? Or Quadrilogy? I can't remember. It's on on our homepage, and I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Bing bong, future Leon here. Actually, that should be... Hextology, or <clears throat> sextet. Bing bong! But anyway, you know, there's the setup of a recurring task, as it were. Yeah. You know, there's, there's an o- overarching goal. There are these multiple keys to find, but every episode basically played out like any other episode of Classic Who. Sorry, when I say episode, I mean serial, obviously. And the element of finding the key that was on this particular planet was mostly irrelevant in all these storylines. It was a MacGuffin That's so true. Yeah. that happened along the way. Like it, I don't know. And I'm, I think watching this particular serial, this particular part of the Trial of a Time Lord, 
has me worried that this is going to fall into the same sort of pattern. Oh, that's very interesting. I, oh, I mean, okay. oh, no, follow up, follow up, and then I'll I'll, I'll ask a related question. But please, uh, chime in. Okay, yeah, sorry. No, I'm I'm not trying to cut you off. I'm sorry if I if I am. The, the The reason I find that contrasts with my view of this is that there are two things in particular about this the story in this serial or in this quadruple set of episodes that aren't wrapped up at the end like that is we don't know what the answer is to these two conundra and i wonder if they will be followed up on at the very end of this box set and they are is this earth and if so why has it moved and the second thing is what was that bit that was redacted in in the episode it's in the episode in the witness testimony that's delivered by the matrix you know there's yeah. one bit where it's it's bleeped and is there a reason why that's been bleeped? Presumably, it has something to do with some planet in the constellation of Andromeda. I don't really understand. But I think that's because we haven't seen the next three episodes yet, the next three serials yet. If those things are in there and they actually fit, then I would argue this is legitimately a part of a box set, as opposed to this is... A case of which probably the keys to time or the key to time was, at least on one occasion, we have a box set with a theme. Which scripts do we have where we can ham fist that theme into it yeah. and just produce it? I mean, I wouldn't disagree, really. And definitely those couple of bits, you know, that's that's my kind of shit. Like, I love yeah. <laughs> where you, you drop some things in like that and immediately you're intrigued. And if they can wrap it up nicely then great stuff. I think what it was with this particular set of, you know, this this evidence that the Valiad is presenting, and this, this is my question to you, mm-hmm. do you think, given the little that we know so far, but that basically the Valiad is trying to prove that the Doctor has committed crimes against Time, time Lords, basically, like he's operating against, let's say, you know, the Time Lord first directive, meddling and altering things that he shouldn't have done. Do you yeah. really think what we saw in this video evidence, this playback, even remotely presented a case for that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I see where you're heading, and it's a good <laughs> point. <laughs> Have you considered an alternative career as a barrister? Because, yeah, absolutely. The doctor could quite easily go, excuse me, you've just proven that I've saved the universe in doing so. You are part of the universe. Consequently, I'm out of here. And also, here are so and so many occasions where you, Time Lords, have meddled. In fact, you've asked me to meddle on your behalf. Ipso facto, I'm out of here. Yeah. Lock up the Valyard while you're at it. But naively, I'm inclined to say the Valyard is playing a different game. This is the problem, is we don't really know what direction they're going to go with this, and there could be a bigger picture that we don't see yet. And because we're we're trying to review this as a part one of a four-part story, but it was broadcast as an entire serial, as yeah. is my understanding. Like, this idea of it being four parts didn't exist when it was first broadcast. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is one section of the evidence, so presumably the other three have a similar kind of wrapping around them. I think so, yeah. I can say still, like, in September 1986, like, you're watching the last episode of this one, ready to watch the next episode next week. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah, you're exactly. not having the pause to digest it and review it. And like, we're we're doing this now and saying, nope, we've drawn a line. This is where we have to judge it. And that's, 
it's a maybe a harsh thing to do given what it was meant to be yeah, so i'm about to give it some you know benefit of the doubt in that regard but i also feel like there might be a couple of threads at the moment that they should have clarified a little bit and one of them in my mind is i'm not buying that the valyard is making a good case at the moment and <laughs> i don't understand why the timelines are giving him the time of day because this is just a joke <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the Time Lords, they've got time travel down pat, but jurisprudence just doesn't work. They don't understand it. It's not fair. It's just a bag of bollocks. But (laughs) (laughs) that's fine. That's fine. I can't wait to see where it's heading. It is interesting, I think, viewing this show, this serial in particular, through the lens of us as New Whovians. This is a much closer knit arc. This is the level of flux compared to a normal season of New Who, I think. Like, it's very continuous. It literally, and I mean, until I see otherwise, I'm assuming this is going to be in that courtroom for the entire thing. Like, I assume so, yeah. You you know, that you can't get a bigger link than that. It's literally in the same room. (laughs) I'm curious about part four. What I heard was this is somewhat inspired by A Christmas Carol. So this first case, this first witness testimony, is the the ghost of Christmas past. This is way back when in the doc's life. The next one is going to be right before this trial. The one after that hasn't happened yet, but that leaves a fourth one. And maybe that fourth one... I mean, the, the, the box set is called The Trial of a Time Lord, so presumably that fourth one is also set in the trial. But they're going to have to mix up the format a little bit to make that fourth one work. And I guess trial has different meanings. Like you can be, you know, tried and tested. True. In the sense yeah. like you have to over- overcome something. So maybe, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure people in podcast land are just laughing at us going, Haha, we know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> what dilettantes. But, <laughs> <laughs> we watched this years ago. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But like uh, you're right, actually, there's an interest. Well, I didn't, I didn't know this about this relationship to a Christmas Carol, which you're right has three parts. So the fourth one quite possibly could be something new, and maybe that's the revelation of who the Valyard is, and there's a confrontation to do with that, and that's the fourth story, perhaps. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Lots of other people maybe. who maybe. aren't us. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we talk about the episode of Doctor Who that the people in the courtroom are watching? <laughs> yeah. The, the original version before they did the the audio commentary track, yeah. Exactly, yes. <laughs> I have one thing that just stands out immediately to me, and that is Doc and Perry's chemistry. Is it not just so good right now? Interesting. Okay. I don't think I had put my mind to that too much. I think it must have worked pretty well, because I don't remember it, like, not working. Yeah. Yeah, maybe... maybe They're not mean something. to each other. No. There was one thing where I think Doc said something like oh that girl can't obey an order i think when he was coming out oh, yeah, of the tunnel yeah. and and she he had told her basically stay put and or he wanted to go into the castle and she was freaked out like i mean that was an interaction to start with that was a bit weird that he was just like well i'm going on if you don't want to come with me then you can bugger off back to the surface mm-hmm. it was very willing to abandon her and then when he comes back up again and she's not there yeah it was this very derogatory statement which was a bit of a shame yeah okay sure yeah i do i do have a question for you actually feel like there (laughs) might be a couple of things that given how you've appreciated this kind of thing in other serials Uh might have floated your boat but let's see how much did you like mr glitz and dipper 
Oh, I love them. They are so <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, so good. So it might not surprise you to know that I hate... No, I love them too. <laughs> <laughs> that the Mr. Kid and Mr. Wint of this episode, I freaking love them. And they are so... Well... <laughs> Glitz is so well-spoken. It's perfect. And about 60% of what he says is just pure exposition dumping. But if every exposition <laughs> dump were this charming, then I would want nothing but it. It is such good value. I, I yeah, love those two. I think I agree. Did, I also like, believe... Oh, go for it. Sorry. Did you find yourself just like super warming to Dibber? Like he was just that, that lovable... He had such a lovable energy about him. Like... Even though they're these mercenaries, and Mr. Glitz is obviously quite happy to kill everyone, and Dibba's quite happy to probably do what he's told and stuff, he just felt—I just felt like he had this fuzzy heart of gold about him, and he would have helped your grandma across the street, sort of thing. Oh wow, that is not at all how I viewed him. I, I viewed him nope. as a slightly imbecilic violence machine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, they're both violence machines. They're both criminals. They're career criminals. But Dibber is the... I, I know what you're getting at. Like, there's a pleasant naivete to any character who's just constantly following orders, in a sense. But they they, they work as such a duo. I, I don't know if I could yeah. live with just one of them. I need those two together as a set. Oh, no, I think I disagree. I, I definitely agree they work very well as a duo. But I would yeah. happily watch Glitz just oh, really? on his own doing stuff yeah <laughs> i don't think i would take dibber on his own but glitz yeah oh, okay yeah yeah even though it, for a second there shamefully i was struggling to remember the names they echoed the same sentiment that is conveyed by unstoff and garen in i've now forgotten this the name of the serial that they're in that's one of the key to time ones isn't it it's the first I'm one cool. yeah it's the yeah. oh the rebot operation yeah, uh, you're right. They fit that mold very well. There's the the knowledgeable trickster who's after yeah. the score and the sidekick, basically. Yeah, I did sort of enjoy Gareth and Unstuff, just not to the level that you did. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> I, I absolutely I enjoyed them. Glitz and Dipper way more. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I think they're very similar. Just to note, I just double checked this. Both Rebus Operation and Mysterious Planets, in fact, Rebus Operation and most of, there's a bit of Doctor Who history associated with this that we need to address, written by Robert Holmes. Robert Holmes wrote Rebus Operation and then wrote all but the last serial of the last couple of episodes of Trial of a Time Lord, and then tragically he passed away. And Pip and Jane Baker of Pip and Jane Baker fame took over the mantle and finished Trial of a Time Lord. I don't know if they did so based on notes of, of Robert Holmes, but this is the last Robert Holmes story. Such an utter legend. Pretty sure, I think it's fair to say, is one of the greatest writers to work on this show ever. Yeah, I mean, obviously his credits are incredible. I've, I've just looked up his Wikipedia page. Yeah, sadly, he, he had died before this actually aired. That is such a such a pity. Yeah. yeah. It says he died while working on the scripts for the season, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so just to return to Garen and Unstoff, Glitz and Dibble, there's a parallel there, but there might be a parallel there for a reason. This might be a set of archetypes that Robert Holmes was just really good at writing. Yeah, maybe. I did get one little spoiler 
Oh, whilst I was looking at Wikipedia, do you want a little spoiler? Is it for next time? Am I likely to forget it in time for the next watch? Yes, because I think I don't think this comes around for a long time, and I won't. I won't tell yeah. you when it comes around again. All right, oh, um, dude, spoil it. Go for it. Podcast land. You've been warned. Skip ahead fifteen <laughs> seconds if not. Yeah, this is not the last time we see Sabalon clips. I knew that, and I knew that okay. only for one reason. In the trivia, it says, for part one of this on IMDb, it says, first appearance of Subalong Glitz. I was like, yeah, yeah. that definitely means there are going to be multiple serials with this dude. <laughs> so I, yeah. I didn't look into the details. I glanced and saw something which I recognized. Oh. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see when it, when it happens. He was fantastic. Yeah. Given that we don't yet know what kind of role glitz is going to play overall i'm gonna wait to add him to the vindex either as an ally or a nemesis we shall find out (laughs) (laughs) interesting yeah in the context of this serial both (laughs) yeah i think so yeah 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 he he was played sorry just a slight tangent he was played by tony selby and played very well i thought i thought i might recognize him his voice sounded kind of familiar but i i don't know any of the other things he's been in, I don't think. Although he was in Superman, but like an uncredited, it says like Fifth Hood. I don't know if that's just like a random thug on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Might be, yeah. Sadly, he, he died only just last year. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pour one out for Mr. Selby. I had a look at his IMDb page as well, and it seemed like a, a stencil copy of most character actors that we see on Doctor Who. And it seemed like such a waste because he was fantastic. In many ways, he stole this show. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I think. I think, that, yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, because, yeah, we do see this time time again. You'll look up someone who was in an episode of Doctor Who, and they would have been in one of the big 60s or 70s show as well in a similar level of role or, or multiple of the 60s and 70s shows. And, yeah, their career spans decades. They're always a little bit character or a side character here, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I would say, yes. Tony Selby should have had better roles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he did. Maybe Certainly somebody thinks he's in, he is the lead character and it's great. I just haven't seen them. <laughs> if, if we ever encounter him again on screen or, it, yeah, I was going to say on stage, but maybe maybe less likely, uh, I look forward to it. Anywho, so uh, Selby as Glitz and his compadre, they are on the surface of the planet Ravalox, possibly aka Earth. We don't know yet. Seems a bit, seems a bit odd. And on this planet, this is sometime in the future, our relative future, there are sort of Bronze Age people. Yeah, How do you that, feel I about mean, that, that weird, whole storyline? That weird setup again where it's, they're Bronze Age, but they've got guns firing bullets because... But they only have guns because they steal those guns from Glitz and Dibber. Oh, that's right. Okay. Because otherwise they, they just have spears. Do they not show any other level? Because, I mean, these are people that came from the... I don't know. Like, what is the setup, actually? <laughs> like, the, okay, this yeah, castle... That, that is the, a the... fair question. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's figure this out. Let's unravel this together. My understanding is some shit befalls this planet. Might be Earth, might be Ravelox, who knows. The robots... We haven't even gotten to the robot yet. The <laughs> best of the two robots, the, what is he, an R9 robot or whatever, L3. L3. An L3 robot is is tasked with taking care of the humanoids 
in brackets, from somewhere in the constellation of Andromeda, possibly, who are otherwise going to die on the surface. So he takes them all underground. He somehow presents himself as the immortal. This is my reading of it anyway. Presents himself as the immortal, takes care of them generation after generation after generation, because that's in his mission protocol. He should, he shall just let them survive underground. And every now and then, some of the people who kind of work for this robot underground let some of their peers escape to the surface. And those peers up yeah. on the surface, along with whomever else survived on the surface, form a society. And that society is that Bronze Age-ish society that we started talking about. They're very low-tech they worship a totem pole, which is in fact a black light conductor of some sort that powers this robot. And and they are very well aware. I thought this was interesting. They're very well aware of the fact that back in the day, they used to travel the stars, but they associate their low-tech status and the fact that at some point there was a scorched earth scenario with some kind of divine retribution for the fact that they did travel those stars and therefore... Anyone with technology is an enemy. Okay. Oh, wow. I miss so much in this serial. <laughs> That's my reading. That, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. No. I, what, it, it what do you disagree mostly with? Mostly rings true. I don't think I disagree with anything. I think I'm just realizing most of the tribe people, yeah, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to. <laughs> maybe this is because <laughs> most of those scenes, I mean... So the there leader aren't that many of these, characters, to be fair, what's what's she called? She's called the the queen, effectively. I, I can't Katrika. remember. Katrika, right? Yeah, like she's played by played by Joan Sims, who you know is a very well known actress from the Carry On stuff. And, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Those are not films known for their subtlety, and her portrayal in this serial is not subtle. <laughs> like, no, it absolutely is not subtle. <laughs> Do you know who very nearly played that role? No, Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt, oh, wow. as in Catwoman. Catwoman. <laughs> yeah. Which would be, I feel, very different. <laughs> Still yeah. very OTT, but a very different kind of OTT, and possibly catering to a slightly different segment of the BBC audience. But uh, yeah, Joan Sim, not Eartha Kitt, and then Broken Tooth, and a whole bunch of people who have no names and don't deserve to have them either. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I, that's, I think, that's society. Yeah, this is maybe this is why I wasn't paying the greatest attention. Is like the <laughs> delivery was OTT. I was too yeah. too busy paying attention to whatever Glitz was doing, probably, and laughing. And then yeah, the fact that the society wasn't particularly well fleshed out. So yes, my my hat is off to you, sir, for for making sense of this way more than I did. That that has filled me in on a lot of gaps actually <laughs> <laughs> well i mean I'm, I'm not the greatest source of expertise here dude you're you're using the the ramblings of a dilettante to fill in blanks in your own uh, appreciation of this show not the well, best way to do that <laughs> together we might get enough enough of a handle on it to vaguely make absolutely, sense absolutely yeah we'll see yeah <laughs> Yeah, okay. I think the thing I didn't really get is why L3 Robot was still, well, basically acting like a dictator. Like, is it meant to be like Robot Goes Mad over time type thing? Because we know that the surface is now habitable. I'm pretty sure it said that the robot knows that it's habitable. It does, yeah. It knows there's still rains up there and so on. Yeah, it's 
but it's still like subjugating the people in this underground spaceship type thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think there's a line somewhere in there where the robot says, no, my orders were to keep everyone safe underground. And that's the reason everyone stays underground. And possibly the robot has just realized from a kind of manipulative anthropological point of view that the only way to keep everyone on the ground is to keep them stupid and keep them subjugated. And that's why no one is taught where they came from, where they're heading and where they might be today. You know what? It's another Kusturica's underground situation where someone in a position of authority, if you haven't watched Kusturica's underground, freaking watch it and prepare to cry your your eyes out. I was going to say cry your heart out. That's a weird anatomical, anatomical <laughs> thing. But it, it's a case of someone in a position of authority, in this case, Drathro, the robot, who forces people to remain in a bunker by telling them, no, the world upstairs is destroyed. The only way to remain safe is to follow my guidance and stay underground and just keep working and that that's exactly what we get here yeah yeah i guess it yeah kind of works hmm yeah so that's the setup sorry okay that is the setup yeah one set of humanoids above and one set of humanoids below but do do you think people survived because the the other part of this setup is like i don't think it's a question i think it's established this is earth or okay. like I'm sure there were there were enough things going along and Doc wasn't quite certain to start with by the end of it. I'm pretty sure everyone is saying this is Earth, unquestionably. And then some event has happened and this is this is where the maybe the facts don't fit because Doc is not thinking this is Earth, this is Ravalox, and the history of Ravalox is that it was you know, it was scorched by something. It and, was hit you know, by uh, whatever was... solar flare or something. Yeah. yeah. So I guess maybe maybe this is something that, that will unravel as well with the, the further story. I'm slightly betting money that there is a connection with Earth throughout a lot of this trial, perhaps. And I would imagine a, so, yeah. A bigger mystery around that. So maybe... Otherwise, the, maybe what a coinkidink that there's a marble arch on Ravalox. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I talked over you again. But just, yeah, just maybe this idea that the planet was scorched and made it uninhabitable, maybe that's just not true but my question was going to be like assuming it is true which is what we can assume at the moment because it's what was presented do you think people survived then and they're part of that society on the surface because i assumed it was just people Mm. that had escaped from the underground yeah and and then that's in the situation of well why are they like bronze age people why aren't they maybe they've yeah yeah somewhere in between i know what you, i i know what you mean that's kind of dumb isn't it like at some point they should have just gone no buddy like we just came from a place with light bulbs yeah <laughs> this is redonkulous it's possible that they are just the people who have escaped slash the descendants of people who have escaped from those tunnels those corridors underground maybe that is exactly what it is because they do have a recollection of where they came from so they they clearly are descendants from people who came from elsewhere, and maybe the, the, they are the Andromedans that we that get name checked here. In what was I going to say? I I don't really mind. I I think there's a bit of a mystery as to whether there was a scorched earth scenario at all, because in the very beginning of this serial, they make a point of saying there's 
this place is pretty verdant. There are trees. This place doesn't look scorched. The only thing that hints at life was destroyed here is Perry saying there are no birds. You can't hear any bird oh, song. Yeah, yeah. But aside from that, it's actually a fairly thriving planet. At least where they are, where they land or materialize is fairly thriving. So yeah, it's not ashen. It's not often 55. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that in, and we should make the parallel to 55 as well, but the other thing is in this serial, I think it's kind of established that the fate of the Earth is still a mystery, certainly to the Doctor. Because when they find the Marble Arch sign, Doc just goes, Perry, don't worry about it. This happens to every, like lots of planets. You know, one planet will die, another planet will thrive. Sometimes a planet burns to the ground and then it kind of builds itself back up again, whatever, you know probably just happened to yours as well it's like what do you mean probably <laughs> don't you know what happened to the earth you know what happened to the earth we've seen the end of the earth we've seen multiple versions of the end of the earth and this is a version of earth's history where its ultimate fate is unknown to the doctor that's that's interesting because do we have evidence of all those things in classic who i know that's a massive thing in new who yeah yeah well, we've had people leave the Earth, travel to other planets, other galaxies. Maybe the people who went to Andromeda are Earthlings who went there and then they've now come back. That's never really established. I mean, they yeah. look like humans. It's very possible. Because I think I took that comment from Doc as a bit of a throwaway of like, I'm not like, this isn't what I thought this place was. Like, we're not where I thought yeah. it was. So I don't know where we are. I don't know when we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was his attempt at comforting Perry in that moment of just like, like, don't worry about it. Like, planets do this. <laughs> you know, yeah. your planet's no different. It will come back. Like, it would be more comforting, comforting, obviously, to say something like the human race goes on to colonize other planets. Like, this isn't the end of your race or, you know, something like that. And that's not what yeah. the Sixth Doctor says. And maybe we shouldn't expect the Sixth Doctor to say something like that. But yeah, I took it as a little bit of a explainable hand wave in the moment. But maybe it will be more important. Well, I mean, it remains to be seen, I guess. In hmm, Shall we just put a pin in that and see if we can revisit that point in our next classic review or in our next classic reviews? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we can just put a pin in Earth and see, see what <laughs> yeah, we get general. to talk about every time. <laughs> Okay, can I make the Orphan 55 connection in that case? Here, uh, go for because it. we said this in our Orphan 55 review as well, in this one, we discover that we are slash might be on Earth by way of them wandering through a tube set, which is so very clearly a tube set from the onset, from the get-go that they enter into. Like, yeah, that's the London Underground, undoubtedly. And they come across a sign that just says Marble Arch. In Orphan 55, we are on a scorched earth kind of planet, an orphan planet, until we realize, oh shit, what is this? Oh, we are on a Siberian, in a Siberian tube station because there's a tube stop sign on the wall to feel as a callback to this. Yeah, no, it must have been. I mean, I, mm. I almost wonder, and I, I haven't rewatched Orphan 55 recently. I need to catch up and then I can listen to your wonderful thoughts about it. <laughs> I don't know if you need to rewatch it, but maybe listen to the review. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, I yeah, I can't quite remember the exact setup, but I'm almost wondering if they're trying to canonically link them as well. Like if this ends up being Earth oh. and it is displaced, is this even a similar time period? Like that scorched period, let's say it existed, 
that's the period from Orphan 55. Like maybe they were trying to establish something like that. Oh, I like that as an idea. That might, to a certain degree, redeem Orphan 55 as well. But in Orphan 55, there are a bunch of crazy tooth monsters that are not in this serial, thank goodness. And that's what mankind evolved into. And then those tooth monsters, presumably, I'm guessing here, evolved back into humans and rebuilt society and were really cool and went out exploring the universe and so on and so forth. And we don't get to see that. I I, I might be misremembering Orphan 55 or missing a detail because I was sort of thinking that version of humanity just died out, perhaps. Like the the few that left were left behind and were succumb, succumbed to whatever happened to the planet. Oh, I see. And, and became these and creatures. most of them went off. But before that, yeah, humanity's already gone off and colonized other planets. That's a very fair point. That's a that's a solid theory and a fair point. Yeah, sure. I will take that on board. Absolutely. But I think, yeah, I think it's a very good link to make, though, Orphan 55, yeah. doing the whole working out this is Earth through the subway system. Yeah, bang on. Yeah. Definite callback. Uh, can I say something non-Hoovian for a second? This past weekend, only two two days ago, we went on a tour. If if anyone is ever in London, go on the Hidden London tour. We went on a tour of disused underground tube tunnels. Oh, uh, cool. freaking awesome. Super duper awesome. Have a look around for Hidden London tours. Yeah, you'll probably that find it. Cool. We went on the Houston tour. It was very cool. Yeah. Did you recognize any as film sets? Because I, I know there are some that they do quite often film down, don't they? Yeah, the one that we went to, the Houston one, isn't used as a film set, apparently. Uh, and I can kind of get that, because it was very small and it wasn't the most <laughs> photogenic, cinematic one. But they said that there's one that is constantly used. And the same one that was used in, what did they say? Skyfall, for example, was one of them, which must presumably be a really intact tube station that's just not used. It's just closed off. The one that we went to was just like, it was off Houston Station. It was dusty as balls and... (laughs) Utterly amazing. Just a wonderfully nerdy experience. And the people who guide you are just the biggest geeks in the world. I love it. (laughs) Highly recommended. Nice. Right. Back to Doctor Who. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Shall we talk quickly, or possibly not so quickly, let's see, about Drathro and his twin companions? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. Are they meant to be twins? I don't know. They operate as if they're twins. I don't think they're twins, but they certainly look very much alike. But you're right. We should head underground because we spend way too much time above ground. Drathro looks amazing, right? Am I the only one who thinks that? He looks tremendous. Oh, it's gorgeous. This is like a weird 80s take on like 60s robots almost like this yeah the, like really over the top designed robot that's not even remotely functional but just looks really cool <laughs> yeah exactly it's the lost in space robot kind of thing exactly it's enormous and imposing and yeah. utterly impractical <laughs> so good <laughs> yeah how do you feel no, about I, the, I really the not twins twins ish oh i hated them oh my god yes. really Oh, did you I like them? Great. Yeah, oh, I really? thought they were great. <laughs> I mean, they're so dumb. It's so utterly dumb. Humbug and handbag, they are great. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I don't understand what they were meant to be adding to this serial. They could have just been dropped and nothing would have changed. So narratively, what they what the plot excuse is, is that the robot on occasion wants 
the most intelligent specimens of the the organics to be sacrificed to him in a sense and people think that he eats them but he probably just does this when they either get too old and die or they displease him or whatever it might be <laughs> and he just replaces them he gets a new set of candidates it's odd to me how 80s television portrays intelligent people <laughs> god yeah <laughs> You don't know how to talk to other one, anyone other than someone who is as intelligent as you. Yes, here we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how long have Humbug and Handbag been with Drathro? I mean, I, I got the impression it's quite a while. I mean, not long enough that people have forgotten about them, because I think, I think they were recognized by someone at some oh, point. Oh, were they? Or did someone oh, name maybe. check them? Yeah. I can't remember. Or or yeah. Maybe someone says like the last people that went missing were these people and then Doc meets oh, them. Oh maybe, goes, yeah, yeah. Ah, I knew you weren't dead. Or something like that. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. So why do they act as though they haven't seen or even why do they act as though they've forgotten what organics are like in general? They've been there a few years. Surely yeah. they should just be going, we were perfectly formed adolescents slash young adults when we went in here. We've wanted desperately to get out of here for aeons. <laughs> what the fuck is going on, Drathero? <laughs> why don't they consider yeah. this captivity? I don't know. I don't understand why they're so comfortable in this setup. I don't understand why they immediately assume Doc is a robot. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's what I mean. Like, um, how long have they been there? They've been there so long that they've forgotten what organics are, so that when they see someone else, they assume that it must be a robot because that's the only thing there is. It's as though they believe they are the last two humanoids alive, even though they constantly look at CCTV of other humanoids. So wh why? Why would this happen? <laughs> So dumb. The, yeah, this is my so dumb. This is my point. They don't make any sense. Like the excuse for them being there just doesn't need to be there. Like Drafro can just not need other help. Like, Drafro can just be a better robot that can run the whole whole system on his own. Like this idea yeah, that he has true. to have intelligent human help just doesn't have to be there. And then we can get rid of these two characters and everyone could be more happy. <laughs> that <laughs> that's that's a very good point and that would also more neatly solidify why he needs doc why he wants to force doc to remain there to help repair the system because otherwise wouldn't he just have these two adjutants repair it for him yeah i mean it's basically saying they're shit i need someone better yeah <laughs> yeah and also i'm shit i can't even explain it to these two dudes <laughs> Yeah. Because surely uh. Drathro knows how to fix the system. He's a super intelligent robot. Well, isn't he meant to have built everything? Is like based on your you know, oh. summing up earlier, like presumably there wasn't an underground, was there? Or did they go into this space and it was already filled with hmm. all of these corridors and machines and stuff? I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't think that's ever established. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bunker there waiting for him. So I don't think that I don't think it's all I, I also don't think it was established that he built everything from scratch and that the earthlings or Andromedans were just waiting somewhere in the wings for him to finish everything and then he, you know, put them in there. I, I don't think that's ever really established. Nor is it established why there is just this one black light converter totem in a village. Yeah. yeah, wait, hang on. Why the shit would you use a black light thing to power anything if 
there is a risk of it malfunctioning and ending the universe. It's not and even apparently, a, oh worst case scenario. It blows up and the Bronze Age hut built next to it collapses. <laughs> this is like every single thing in the universe ceases yeah. to be quite possibly painfully. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's maybe technology we shouldn't be messing with. Quite <laughs> frankly, yes, yes, I would entirely agree. And also, I would add. If you are deciding to mess with it and make a robot that is powered by it, then maybe invent some kind of battery for it that you can store some yeah. of this energy so that the robot exactly. literally doesn't stop working if you're hit by a little rock or something. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> the, you know, this, this yeah. one thing that is like a lightning rod is like you knock that out. Oh, shit. All our robots are down. That's really annoying. Yeah. The other day... There was a rainstorm here in Oxford, and I lost internet for a little bit. <laughs> because probably some mast was blown down by a, by a gale. So imagine if that had ended the universe. <laughs> <laughs> stop it. Just stop yeah. it. This is why BT, this is why I keep saying it every year, BT, a Sky, and what whoever else, O2 and Virgin Media, they should not dabble in blacklight technology. Yes, definitely. Yeah. They can't even get cable right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe Humbug and Handbag are kind of a fail-safe, though. So if everything fails, then Humbug and Handbag, theoretically, maybe generations ago, would have been there to go, right, we need to fix this. We need to sort it out before everything blows up. But they're here when the thing does get blown up, and they do bugger all. That, yeah, that's true. But the idea of Humbug and Handbag generations and generations ago might have been different. Because these are the descent, not the descendants. These are, who knows how long they've been underground. Maybe they've been underground for thousands of years. Not Humbug and Handbag, but, you know, yeah, the, Drathro the and this. Exactly, yeah. And maybe when the whole thing started, maybe the protocol was... Listen, Drathro, you're going to keep all the humanoids safe underground, and you're going to have two people who are the cleverest people among them, and they're going to keep you in check. And then thousands of years later, it turns out it's just these two dweebs who don't know how to do anything, <laughs> but bicker, and I love them. <laughs> also, okay. imagine after this is done, where they're like completely socially incompetent, and Drathro is dead, the uh, the planet Earth, possibly, or Ravalox has been saved. What are they going to do? Are they going to move next door to the precogs in Iceland or in Norway or wherever they are to like the neighboring shack? Yeah, they are going to have an interesting time. <laughs> I think so. Anyway, sorry, um, rambling. Where are we going? I, well, I just have a very quick question. We've mm -hmm. circled around it a couple of times, but there was a very interesting scene. <laughs> I put interesting in, in air quotes, where... I forget who it was exactly. I think it's Perry, Glitz, and Dibber. Maybe Balazar is with them at this point. They're trying to get into the throne room. And they end up going right, through yeah. a food processor. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get yep. a hilarious scene of really cheap <laughs> laser effects over the top. But uh -huh. yeah, no one gets hurt at Love all. It. Dibber Love saves it. the day, which is great. But anyway... Do you think this food press processor thing, given how we've seen some other things unfold, this idea that people think you get taken to the immortal and you get eaten and the immortals using people until they probably age out and then who knows what happens to them. 
Do you think this is another Soylent Green type affair? That definitely sprang to mind for me as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do people who try to escape this thing turn into the food that the people who don't try to escape eat? Does everyone underground eat green sludge? <laughs> How many meals were wasted on the bukake that is that Balazar is treated to at the end of that sequence? Th- th- there's oh god, I've forgotten about that. <laughs> utterly redonkulous. <laughs> yeah, I don't. In answer to your question, no, I don't think this is a soil and green situation. I think this is just like a, a nutrient sludge. Maybe some mushrooms or something. Yeah, but it is a ridiculous scene and. <laughs> It's almost ready. Did you ever watch, what's it called? Space Quest? Is it called Space Quest? The Space Sigourney Quest. Weaver, what's his face? And, oh, uh, Galaxy what's Quest. What's his face? Galaxy Quest. Thank you. Excellent film, by the way. Despite the fa- I do think that despite the fact that I couldn't remember the title. You know where they, Sigourney Weaver and whoever the captain is, Tim Allen, they're wandering through the engine and he goes, oh, fuck, there's this one room that is unnecessarily <laughs> hazardous to cross. And it's just to make for an exciting scene. We're going to have to cross it now. And it's just hammers and things and stuff is flying, swooshing in the way. And there, I think there might be lasers as well. That's what the food dispenser is here. It could yeah. so easily not be that. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. Everything in that scene was superfluous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Love it. <laughs> okay, I have a philosophical argument for you. Oh, interesting. There's a conundrum. It's in part four where Doc and Drathro, whom I constantly want to call Jethro, are having (laughs) (laughs) a debate about who is more valuable, organics or robots. And there's the, there are so many back and forths here that it's such a philosophical ping pong, but the, I guess the gist of it is, or, you know, high level, the, the core concept of it is, Organics are more valuable than robots because they were clever enough to create robots. But when they did so, the robots were made cleverer than they were. So consequently, they are more valuable than the organics. And the fact that this robot has kept all the organics dumb means the organics are dispensable. And that's somehow transposed across the entire rest of the universe because this is in that same conversation, I believe, where Doc says, listen, this might end all organic life, not just the the imbeciles that live in these tunnels or the bronze age people upstairs this could end all life in the universe how did you feel about yeah. that that little debate i think i ever missed little detail about like the organics having created the robots or synthetic lives as more intelligent because it really okay. felt to me like drafro was trying to argue well organics created me organics created like synthetic beings yeah so ergo synthetic beings are greater which i just didn't follow that logic at all i mean even if you are saying yeah basically it just felt like a really weak case from drafro's side (laughs) of just like well you created us so fuck you all (laughs) like i don't know (laughs) but it also it it did actually really bother me that doc was having this debate like Doc Hmm. was taking the position very clearly and from the start that organic life is more valuable than any other form of life. I completely agree with you. It just, I don't know what we've seen 
up to this point in classic Who, to be honest. Well, think, I think of maybe, Robots of Death. Yeah, that's true, actually. I feel like they, they were treated differently, weren't they? Like, we knew that there was a robot there that was as alive as any organic species. Exactly. What were they called? The Vox robots and the Super Vox robots. Yeah. Doc had a companion who was a robot. Oh, my God, yes. Yes. And even K-9. Is he just saying, actually, they're all... And K-9, yes, super good point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So we've had loads of examples up to to this point. There are probably dozens more if if we delve into it even if even if they ended up being like evil like i'm sure their their level of intelligence and even sentience was probably you know played out and like shoved down our throats of like this is a species yeah this isn't just a killer robot that was designed to do a thing like a tool and i think maybe that's what we're perhaps meant to think about this robot but when it's i think it's personified very highly in this serial like it's it's talking very naturally. It's obviously running this entire operation, has a couple yeah. of, you know, human subordinates and all this kind of stuff. It's, I mean, it's operating a scheme, not intentionally, but, you know, to the level that the master would do, where it's, you know, seen as this immortal. Like, it, I think it says very quickly to Doc calling it the immortals, like, I'm not immortal. Like, I don't think it set up that, that legend someone else did and it just stuck, sort of thing. But, you know, it, it's, it's running a scheme the master would have easily portrayed. Agreed. And yeah, for doc for doctor just immediately go, Nope, don't give a shit. All organics are worth more than you. Please fuck off and die. Was like, whoa, what the hell? What show is this? <laughs> if there were a caveat of sorts where Doc goes, here's the thing, we can make a backup of you, but we can't make a backup of organic life. So let's make a backup of you just in case. And then you sacrifice yourself, but we save everyone else. And I give you my word as an organic that I will rebuild you using that backup. There's, there's nothing like that. There's also the fact that even though he's turned into a bit of a despot, Drastro has been keeping this species alive for possibly thousands of years. Yeah. So are we just going to judge him for his despotic behavior based on human criteria? Or are we going to say, yeah, but actually he's just a despot because programming says keep everyone on the ground. So he forces them to remain on the ground. But there was an organic person who gave him that order. So actually the bad guy here is the person who didn't foresee that that could be taken literally and so on and so forth. That. It seems like he's actually been doing them a favor for thousands of years, and now he's paying for it by being sacrificed. Yeah. You know, I just had a thought. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it will play out, but I, I wonder if this is an element of the trial. like Because this is something that happens because oh. of Doc's actions, actually. Maybe this is an important detail. Hmm. Oh, that I love that as a theory. That is good stuff. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that I can see being picked up in part four. Of Doc going, I saved the universe, and the Valley are going, no, you sacrificed an innocent robot. <laughs> yeah, now that'd be interesting, because you know, going back to my original beef with this setup a little bit, is that yeah. it's hard to look at the actions as they play out and say the Doc was you know overstepping boundaries, was interfering in stuff he shouldn't have interfered with. Like, he... He is asked to be here. I forget what the setup was with that. But like he's someone basically asks for his help and he, he goes along with it. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's Glitz actually. Maybe Glitz is 
convinced him to help at some point i can't remember oh maybe yeah but they flip back to the trial at this point and he's like can't you see i'm doing this under duress or like maybe glitz has like threatened him it's like help me or i'm gonna kill you you know and like throughout all of this there's an explanation that you know doc is doing this because not doing it would be worse sort of thing yeah he might Um, die yeah and And the universe along with him yeah or it's it's saving the universe (laughs) and it's yeah so Maybe maybe there is a side note here of like he his inter, his interaction broke up this setup where this this very sentient robot was running the show and it would have naturally taken its course and humanity would have done a thing or the robots would have done a thing and he overthrew all of that and killed this sentient robot and put everything out of alignment or you know maybe that will be the thing who knows again lots of other people who want us (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah chuckling away i'm (laughs) loving these theories i haven't given the future of this season any thought really i'm i'm digging your theories man I'm literally do you have any walking out my arse as we go along. <laughs> do you have any theories about the bits that were blatantly called out as season season long plot points, like the, the the thing that's bleeped out, which is something about the quote sleepers coming from Andromeda or going to and I can't remember something about the sleepers anyway. I have no idea at the moment. I, I'm assuming it's. It's all related to what Glitz was after, the secret thing. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. but no, 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 no theories I can really put forward at the moment. Just waiting to find out. Right. Okay. How about we rate this? Mmm, Glitz. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la, 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 la. Ratings. Well, here we are at that wonderful section called our minis. We're going to now yeah. sum up what we've been saying. And yes, indeed. I was very mean. I used my poor helpless cat as a ploy to trick Leon. And so I put my finger on my tip of my nose first. And so Leon is reading out his review. Please, Mr. I, Leon. I am indeed. Yeah, podcast land. The level of deviousness on the part of my co-host. Yikes. All right, here we go. So what am I going to give this? Well, I want to start off by saying I have watched serials with family and with friends in the past, but I have never had the privilege of watching it with Doc. And I have to say, I'm so glad that on his adventures, whether he's on trial or not, the Doctor gets to watch this wonderful TV show as well. The format, I'm aware, doesn't work for everyone, but I really like it. I really don't mind it at all. It's not too disruptive for me, and in a sense, it mitigates the risk of any serial or or, or scenes even in this season being too boring for audiences, because sooner or later, don't worry about it, we're going to cut back to Colin Baker being a witty, wonderful git. It's great. Oh, by the way, a doc declined public defender in this format. That is hilarious, Lloyd. Though possibly also a missed opportunity, because imagine an alternative cut with a witless court-appointed defender. Wow. Side trivia note, Baker was going to be a solicitor before he decided to become an actor, so while you're at it, imagine that as well. Back to the show. Doc... Sporting a new cat brooch, by the way, we didn't say, is wonderful, as is Perry, and I'm loving their new rapport. I read somewhere, I can't remember if it was IMDb or TARDIS Wiki or wherever it was, I read that they deliberately tried to make their relationship a more amicable one in this this season. And I have to say, good choice 
everyone involved. The Valiard is a dick and a half, and I'm very curious about him. Whilst watching this, I thought perhaps he might be the Black Guardian, at least for a while, because of his outfit, and th- especially the headgear, that black headgear, which is, I think, almost identical to what the Black Guardian wore. Mm. But now I'm not too sure. I feel like you might know more about this, Jim Cakes. Who else? Glitz? Glitz and Dibber? Wow, they are about as wonderful as Garen and Unstoff for me, so zero complaints from my side. More, please. Wait, there is more. Great. Thanks for taking my feedback on board past BBC. Production value as well through the roof in this one. Not one, but two amazing robots. We didn't even talk about the tank. Great sets. The BBC clearly bought a stabilizer rig for all those shots of them running around the forest. That introductory shot, oh my goodness, wait, I feel another puddle coming on. Beautiful cereal. It is a wonderfully written story by Robert Holmes, an utter legend, with exactly the balance of badassery, friendship, and lessons in ethics and morality, and also fantastical sci-fi imagination, gadgetry and locations that are exactly the kind of confluence of factors that I want from this show. Yet I have to say, I know it can be even better. I have seen it be even better. And for that reason, oh, I built you up. I'm going to tear you down. But oh, no, it's all ruse because I'm awarding this a mere 4.0. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) you do surprise me. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> oh wait okay this changes everything <laughs> oh really oh no yeah. did i award it a lower rating than you were gonna give it let's find out <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing I'm, I'm questioning everything now who am i oh, no. <laughs> what's happening <laughs> is this a microphone i see before me anyway yes <laughs> thank you leon very good little mini oh, my pleasure there. yes <laughs> Okay, what do I think? I wrote some notes down, and overwhelmingly, glancing through my notes, actually, there are a lot of thumbs-ups and smiley faces of just enjoying this serial. So yeah, we we said already that, you know, Perry were having a nice relationship in this serial compared to other ones. Like, I wrote a little note about how, just on, in like, the opening scenes, they were... Like, having this wonderful time finding out if there was intelligent life on this planet. Like, Perry makes this observation Mm -hmm. about there not being birds, and Doc's just, like, super proud of her and stuff. I don't know. It was just a really nice little segment. Staying on, you know, the positivities of Doc in this, you're right to call this out, Leon. Like, every time we go back to the trial, Doc's super smugness, his energy levels about just being ridiculously you know put on trial the banter between him and the scrap yard and the fact that you know <laughs> throughout the whole thing the valley yard is just this stoic asshole you know it is just it's wonderful to see that interplay and it is yeah, it is a little bit jarring sometimes cutting back and forth between the trial and the real episode as it was but yeah, you get that reward every time. So it, it was it was okay, really. Another little thing I had about Perry, though, was she does have a lovely moment where, like, Medine, we didn't really talk about him at all. This weird oh, yes, gray character that's trying not to get killed by the immortal and so is working with him and is very high up in the ranks and stuff, but at the same time is freeing people when he has the opportunity. Mm. But then Perry gets this opportunity to basically beg Medine to speak bear the lives of all the the tribes people because the l3 robot at this point drathro is just like no they've all got to die and medine doesn't know what to do and could well just like wander out and shoot everyone by the looks of it so perry has Mm. a nice moment of you know protecting them and standing up 
which we, yeah, is a good trait we get to have in companions from time to time. And I always appreciate when we do see it. And it, you know, probably one of the few times we've seen it from Perry. So good stuff. Yes, that production values, that lovely flyby of a space station. I saw notes on Wikipedia saying it's the most expensive model shot they ever did. It cost £8,000, which obviously is a bit laughable today but yeah, <laughs> i'm well, sure with inflation that's like two billion pounds you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah money well spent it was gorgeous and Absolutely. like we said before drathro himself like the design of that robot was pretty spiffing and all yeah production level quite good there was some like there was a lot of moments in this which i maybe not laugh out loud but i was I was definitely smiling. I was I was enjoying it. This weird scene, I forget if it's at the end of episode one, but where Balazar has captured the doctor and like they're in this weird little work unit where it's like, oh no, we're one too many people. We've got to kill the extra. Otherwise, we're all going to get fined or something. And so they start stoning Doc. And yes. Balazar, for some reason, <laughs> makes this comment. People get very excited at these stonings. And Doc says, I'm not excited. Like, it couldn't have been more Monty Python's <laughs> life for Brian. It was just like, I don't know. <laughs> so so bizarre but entertaining yeah glitz and and dibber wonderful together mr glitz throughout the entire thing just enjoying the heck out of him like i think right from the start they're watching doc and perry go through the forest and glitz doesn't get the opportunity to kill them and he's so disappointed and it was just so enjoyable about how disappointed he was that he didn't get to kill them it's like damn it i just have to go away with the knowledge that i didn't get to kill those people yeah hammy cheesy whatever enjoying the heck out of it and yeah going back to balazar this thing about him finding these books like old earth oh, books yes. one of which is like the habitat of the canadian goose and it's a punchline <laughs> right at the end of the serial it's just that's so good i loved it <laughs> <laughs> just the idea that he's excited to go out onto the planet is like perhaps at last we'll find the habitat of the canadian goose <laughs> it's just wonderful <laughs> wonderful yes uk habitats of the canadian goose by hm stationary office Oh, yes. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, there were some big negatives with this. Like, we talked about, like, the setup as always the case. The setup and the plot are mostly unexplained in places. But Mm. this is a rare situation where I can give it the benefit of the doubt because they have opportunity to still explain some of these things. I'm not convinced they will do. So it's a negative still, but you know, there's a little bit of leeway here. There there are still some ridiculous things that happened. Like the whole fact that Doc is coming out of the tunnel when Perry's running back to the tunnel with Dibber and God knows who else. And it's just like this pin perfect timing of coincidence. And uh, yeah. You know, the usual usual kind of stuff. Mm. There's a lot of ridiculous things happening. And we did get another annoying, probably not had a serial without it yet, pretty Perry comment, unfortunately made by Mr. Glitz. So he does have a negative thing mm. about him as well. But overall, okay, actually, yeah, yeah right. I didn't I couldn't think of a lot of negative things other than like the the thing I said before about the whole it's hard to buy this as a real evidence for the doc, you know, really portraying, betraying like Time Lord values and stuff like this. There's a big question mark over that. But like I said, it's it can be a little bit left to the side until all of this t- trial of a Time Lord plays out. So for now, actually, I was kind of reflecting on this in quite a positive, like 
us chatting about it. It was it was all mostly positive and feeling quite good. I wrote down four point one. You bastard! You, you oh my goodness, what? <laughs> and I haven't managed oh, to talk myself wonderful. down. I thought I might talk myself down <laughs> something out, but no, I'm gonna have to stick with it. I think. <laughs> Jim, you have a huge heart. <laughs> yeah, that point one is so much bigger. <laughs> that is excellent. Okay, that's so what those we are our opinions. Yeah, yeah. Damn heck, they were. We better find out what podcast land thinks, don't you? Yeah, let's do that. This love is now. Let's hear from podcast land. Max to fifty, or it would get out of hand. Oi, oi, you lucky people! <laughs> you made it once again to that point in the episode that we like to call listener minis Ooh, welcome step inside make yourselves comfortable <laughs> lean back can i fetch you some slippers do you Doesn't need a back rub? A have you lost weight <laughs> you know, really while you can podcast land so save yourselves <laughs> <laughs> oh hold him back try some of these volivons <laughs> They've already been sat on the window for three days. <laughs> anyway, yes, we've had, well, it's an absolute bucketful this time. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like more more than I have fingers and thumbs on my hands. That's ridiculous. It's yeah, just bucket being the internationally recognized symbol for 11. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's hands plus one. There we go. Yeah, we are sticking to established pattern. I think it's yep. fair to say this is established now. So, yeah, mm. we're going to get three of these in full. Everyone else, yep. we little shout out and the rating because that's right. That's just the way we roll. Anywho, without further ado, first one out the gate. Why, it's Mr. Derek Moore. Hello, Derek. Oh, hello, Derek. Please, can I have some more? Of course, you can have more. And it starts like this. Hello, dearest Whovians. <laughs> Hello, Derek. In anticipation of your reviews of the Trial of the Time Lord season, I was resting at home recovering from a cold when, most likely high on too much cough syrup, I watched all 14 episodes of Trial of the Time Lord in one day. Oh, my. Oh, my, indeed. <laughs> For the mysterious planet, Derek goes on, on the whole, it's not the worst story this season, which is a very low bar. Oh, oh. Yeah. It's palatable, somewhat interesting, while it's nice to be back to 25-minute episodes with small, manageable bites. Honestly, not many highs, not many lows, and an interesting, not really resolved mystery of whether this is Earth. Hmm, interesting take, Derek. And Derek gives us a rating of 2.7 cough syrup-induced visions out of 5. <laughs> to be fair, that's quite a few better, cough syrup-induced visions. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> like 2.7 too many. <laughs> Derek, I, I, I hope you feel better already. Well done for watching the entire season in one go. <laughs> yes, props, sir. <laughs> uh, Derek, thank you so much for your mini. Yes, thank you. Who's next? Why, it's Stephen! <laughs> Stephen! <laughs> oh, wait. Stephen! <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm further along in the song. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I screwed it up. Hello, Stephen. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. <laughs> well, that was the uh, introduction. There we go. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> we can do it again if you want to. <laughs> no, it was perfect. Okay. 
No second takes. <laughs> it's exactly as the composer intended it to be sung. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> yeah. What does Stephen say? Stephen starts with a little caveat saying, for point of reference, I watched the extended version included on the season 23 Blu-ray set. Ooh. This story acts as the first part of the overarching story of season 23. I can say with some certainty that it sets the stage very excellently and works incredibly well on its own. Oh, I've always enjoyed stories of a post-apocalyptic Earth, continues Stephen, that show the corrupted remnants of human culture. This story is no exception. It was fascinating to see both fragments of society, one regressing to medieval peasantry, while the other growing sterile and dogmatic. Mm. Though, says Stephen, I'm sure I'm not the first to mention this, but the similarities between this story and Robert Holmes's own story, Crotons, painfully obvious. A giant Damn robot, it, yes, right. mm, a giant robot removing the smartest members of a society seems awfully familiar. But I can cut a dying man some slack for loosely reusing elements of a story which most people had not seen for twenty years. I, I hadn't seen for, say, eight years, and I'd forgotten about it, but that's such a good point, Stephen. Yes, very true. Stephen concludes, not much to say, really, about this one specifically. I just really liked it. And overall, this story earns 4.7 rounds rapid out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Excellent rating system. Very generous rating. Stephen, huge heart. Wow. <laughs> that is a huge heart. Good stuff. Yeah. People who are not Stephen can say hi to Stephen online, I believe. They can say hello to Stephen at S. Andre Erchen. Mm. I, I just wanted to add, I am kicking myself for not asking you, Mr. Leon, how much did you enjoy Mr. Glitz saying five rounds rapid? Oh, <laughs> that was beautiful. What a what a lovely callback to the Brigadier. Oh, oh, and the Daemons. Oh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> Anywho, thank you, Stephen. And thank you, next Stephen. up with the full mini, and last up with the full mini, in fact, it's none other than Michael. Michael. Ridgeway. 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 Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. Michael is short and sweet with this review. He's given us some likes and one boof. Let's go quickly through the likes. Say, that's a nice effect. A giant wobbly suicidally bonkers robot. Hurrah! Crazy Queen Bodica starring Thingy from the Carry On films. <laughs> <laughs> and episode four guest starring the bazookoids from red dwarf what i'd missed this entirely is that, for, <laughs> is that for real very quick google very quick google <laughs> i mean i know exactly oh, what the, bazookoids the guns like. but wait were they this is the uh, i'm assuming the this is a reference thing? to the gigantic guns that they uh, the glitz and dibber yeah. use because okay. holy moly, those are some big guns. Nice. Those were the likes from Michael. We have that singular mm. boof, which is they've made the doctor nice. Boo. What? I demand cruel insults, hold a perry and all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> oh, oh, that's not a boof for me. That's totally a like in my wow, in my view. Well, okay, interesting. Michael adds a summary of the TV series that 100 on a shoestring. <laughs> nice one. Very nice. 
And he gives this a rating of 3.8 out of 5 barbarians sizzled like sausages by a mentally deranged robot. Ouch. That was actually nice. Just how quickly yeah. they got dispatched and went crispy as a pancake. Yes. Yeah, we didn't stuff. talk about that. That's gruesome, by the way. It was, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, Michael. If Thank people you. don't happen to be Michael, but would like to follow well, Michael, like, mm. what would they do? How, how would they rectify this? Okay, step one, get a computer. Step two, call your friend and ask them, because they probably already have a computer and an internet connection, to find out what internet providers are available in your area. Get internet. Register um, can, with can Twitter. Skip to the end, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I, I feel like they're <laughs> listening to a podcast. They they might be oh, okay right. with those bits. Yeah? You're so right. That is a fair point. I'm so sorry. Podcast line, I apologize. <laughs> you can find Michael Ridgway at bad underscore movie underscore club and that's on that twitter thing that's on the interwebby yeah, stuff on the internet you know, yeah with all the spiders <laughs> that's the one michael so big <laughs> right okay those were all the full minis now we're into shout out land okay first up that's right mr kieran evans hello kieran kieran, mm. kieran says for this segment which I'm taking to be the the stuff that happens on Ravelox slash Earth, a 2.8 mm-hmm. out of 5. And, but for the trial scenes, surprisingly, only a 2.2 out of 5. Ooh, Ooh. making this an average of 2.5. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, solid stuff. Yeah. Want to read the whole thing? Go to whoaboutwhen.com, obviously. We won't say that again. You know what you need to do. All of these will be on the website. But what you can do, though, is follow Kieran on Twitter. That's right. He is at a place for all your electric van needs. (laughs) That's right. KJ Evans 2 for all your Evan needs. Thank you, Kieran. Exactly. Thank you, Kieran. Who's next? It's Mr. Richie Black. Hello, Richie. What up, Richie? (laughs) (laughs) Richie gives this a rating of a 2.4 out of 5, because Colin Baker is worth it. Holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes. Is he not just? Thank you very much, Richie. People who are not Richie can find Richie online. Where, Jim Cakes? At Richie Sexington. All in one word for your sexy convenience. Who's next? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's that spiffing chap, Mr. Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? (laughs) (laughs) Andy Andy summarizes, I want this story. 3.5 UK habitats of the Canadian goose by HM stationary office out of five. (laughs) (laughs) Another fantastic rating system. Thank you very much, Andy. People who are not Andy, please head on over to the interwebs and find him online. He can be found at Caffrey's 71. That's 71 Caffrey's. Yes. Good <laughs> stuff. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Who's next? <laughs> it's the Zool Meister Sorry, himself. Sorry, Disney have really hit me. I'm so sorry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> They're like time bombed for listener mini section. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Little Campari explosives. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who we have next is the Zoonmeister himself, Peter Zunich. Hello, Hello Peter. Peter. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Peter awards this 4.1 dual simpleton black light converter operators. 
<laughs> yeah, very nice. Excellent rating system. And also, here's your friend who agrees with you, Jim Cakes. Yeah, I was going to say, a very good score offered there by Peter. Thank you, Peter. Next up, <laughs> we <laughs> have got... Mr. Ed Corbett. It's Ed Corbett or Ed Corbett. It's one of those. That's right. It's Ed. Hello, Ed. Hello, Ed. (laughs) (laughs) Ed hasn't given us a punchy little thing. So all I can say is 2.2. Solid stuff. Yeah. It's the way you tell (laughs) him. Thank you very much, Ed. It really is. Yeah. Good stuff. (laughs) Who's next? It's Mr. GP Haynes. I said, G, you say P, G, P, G, P. Yeah, that's right. Hello, GP. (laughs) Hello, GP. (laughs) GP gives this a rating of a 1.4. I take back what I said earlier. This is awful. (gasps) What did he say earlier, podcast? What indeed? Teasers. Mm. People who are not GP, I know, should read it in its full splendor and also find them online on instant YouTube at what, Jim Cakes? Finding G spots. <laughs> Gets me every time. <laughs> All in one word. No spaces or hyphens for your convenience. Yes. Thanks, indeed. GP. <laughs> Thank you, GP. Who's next? Next up, we've got Neil. Hello, Neil. Hello, Neil. Neil also very succinct. Rating 2.9. Mm. Okay. All right. We're heading into that territory. I, I, I get what you're saying, Neil. Nice one. Thank you very much. People who are not Neil, you know the drill. Twitter, Insta, etc., etc. He can be found at Neil Androzani and... Neil James Actor. All in one word. For your convenience. Thanks, Neil. Who's last? Why, last up we have... Do we have a jingle for this? <laughs> I feel like we've been here before, Jim Cakes. I feel like... <laughs> Every time we get to Dan from Devon, spoilers, podcast land, it's Dan from Devon, we look at each other and go, fuck, we still haven't got a theme tune for him. Okay, Dan, I'm so sorry. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add it to my reminders on my phone where for the next time we are creating a theme tune for him. Yeah. Sorry, I was just trying to get it yeah. into Pink Panther. It didn't work. It's Dan from Devon. Bum, bum, bum. It's Dan from Devon. Bum, bum. <laughs> It's down from Devon. It's down from Devon. Uh, I didn't think about doing it that way. Okay. It's down from Devon. (laughs) We got there. We got there. (laughs) Kind of like it. Kind of like it. Might not stick. Let's go with it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll we'll, we'll workshop it. (laughs) We'll throw it out of writer's room. Uh, Hello, Dan. (laughs) Hello, Dan. Yeah. And Dan gives this a rating of. 4.1 4.1 Canadian geese out of five. Holy smokeroodies and cheesecakes. ching <laughs> There's my second friend that agrees with me. Nice. Oh, wow. Well done, Dan. Dan, have you met Peter? Have you met Jim Cakes? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic yeah, stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, everyone that sent in a mini. Awesome. Huge thanks. Always. If uh, you, dearest uh, podcast listener, happen to not be one of the people we just snip, snippity, snip, snip, snipped, please do yourselves a favor. Head on over to whobackone.com. Read these minis in their full splendor. Well, that just about wraps it up for this episode. You've heard our thoughts. You've heard Podcastland's mm. thoughts. Well, no, you've heard That's right. a, a small smidgen of Podcastland's thoughts. Because you're listening. You've mm-hmm. got your own thoughts. And we didn't just invade your brain and, and tell other people. 
I don't know what's happening. Anyway, we're done. I can stop rambling is the point. What we have to say now is what's next? <laughs> what is next, Jim Cakes? Well, of course, in Classic Land, we have only just begun with the trial of a time lord. Mm, so we will right. be having the next part of that, which is called Mind Warp. Let's do the Mind Warp again. That's right. Before then, we are going to jump into New Who territory with Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Ooh, terrible indeed. Audio Land. <laughs> I recognize the title of this. This is a very recent thing. Doctor Who It is a very recent thing. That's right, yes. We're going to be revisiting some Jodie Whittaker-themed Doctor Who-ing in audio format, which I'm super-duper looking forward to. Nice. Mm. And in bonus Who territory, TBD podcast land, we don't know yet. Uh, Something. It'll be good. It'll be cool. Bonuses will be bonusing when they are bonus. (laughs) that wasn't worth it of course in the meantime you can find leon and my good self on twitter if you would like Mm. to shout out have a little convo please do i can be found at jimmy the who bing bong future leon here again uh nope actually jim is no longer on twitter uh, given the uh recent slash ongoing developments on that platform it's, in fact, possible that we'll all be vacating Twitter for uh, some other platform. Jimmy the Who can no longer be found there, unfortunately. But if you do want to relay any messages to Jim, feel free to reach out to at when and said messages will be relayed. We'll see what happens to the rest of our Twitter accounts. Okay, back to the show, Bing Bong. And for not-so-excellent branding... Where can Correct. we go to find you, Leon? I go to at shitbananas.com. You can find me at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. And Ponken. just like that, you forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible branding on my part. I apologize. <laughs> Jim Cakes, I've had a blast chatting with you this evening. It has been a blast, hasn't it? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what's happened, to be honest. I've forgotten everything about what we've just talked about, the entire serial. But who cares? It was fun. <laughs> and it's now immortalized in, in podcast format. There we go. We did it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, actually. I don't need to remember stuff anymore. I can just listen to myself. Anyway, <laughs> until the next time, you've been a wonderful audience, Podcast Land. Take care, look after yourselves, and see ya. Rock on, be rad and excellent to each other, Podcast Land. Thanks again for listening, and cha-chao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to, and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?